to know how, how excited we are that you're here with us. Um, we believe that God brought you here, and so we love you, and, and we, we see you as part of us. So if there's any, anything that we can do for you this week or any time, our, our numbers, all of us pastors' numbers are on the back of this bulletin. And feel free to reach out to us, and uh, we'll, we'll be who we can be for you. And I just, I just hope you know, man, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, got a few things going on this week. Um, Wednesday night is Proverbs in the Park. If you haven't come to that, come to that. So come to, the, to Washington Park over by the swimming pool. Um, you'll see the, the smoke will be rising up. We're, we're, the grill is usually on fire. We've got some burgers in there. And uh, bring something if you can. If not, just come and eat with us. Bring a, a lawn chair at uh, 5 o'clock. So just come at 5 o'clock on Wednesday nights right after you get off work and eat with us. And then uh, one of the men of our church is going to be sharing in Proverbs. So every Wednesday night this week or this, this summer, we're going to be doing that. should be a great time. Be a part of it. Um, we have the VBS coming up. That's not this next week, but the following week. You'll kind of see the decorations around here. And right outside those doors is a table. And uh, we need you to pick up your shirts if you're working in VBS. If you're not working in VBS and you can't, we need you to buy some snacks for VBS. Um, we're going to have a lot of hungry kids. And it's really easy. There's a is that exactly what we need is back there on that list. So go back there, sign up. You can even buy it online, and I think it gets delivered or something like that. So we, we, we want to make it easy, but we also need, like, you know, thousands of snacks. So help out with that if you can, please. Then uh, I, think, uh, I think you're going to share about the wheelchair mission now. Yeah. I wondered why you were standing here. Yeah. Okay. Are you guys sick of me? I'm sick of me being up here, too, so it'll be the last week, I promise. Next, next Saturday is our free wheelchair move for mobility, so there's no more Sundays in between for me to announce, so this is the last one. Um, just to, as a reminder, for the horseback riding team and the running, walking, biking, we're going to meet at 9.30-ish, 9.45-ish, somewhere in between there. Where the horse trailers are at the Ennis Kimball, where Ennis, at Ennis Kimball, you go into the, past the booth to pay, and then you turn right, and there's like a, a dirt road part where the, where Christie's horses will be. You won't miss it. It'll be really obvious. That's where we're going to start our race. The kayakers are going to be meeting with Jay. Anybody who's kayaking, talk to Jay, because I don't know the plan there. But I forgot to announce this for the first service, so you guys are lucky because you guys get a chance. If you have, if you, there's five more openings for horseback riders. So if you didn't get to register and you were thinking, oh, I want to do this, there's five more spots. So just come talk to me or talk to Christy, and then you can ride. And she's splitting the horseback riding up into two shifts, so there'll be a first shift and a second shift, and she'll work that out with you guys. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so the last part is I wanted to share a testimony of one person who received a chair. She was the second person that ever received a chair when they first started in 2001. Her name is Lotus Blossom. Um, she lives in India. And she grew up in the slums right by the river. Um, her mom was, is what you would call a rag picker. So she goes through all the trash and just tries to find things to eat 
or sell, and that's just how they live. And Lotus Blossom grew, she has muscular dystrophy, so she has ne- was never able to walk, and she just grew up not leaving her home in the, in the slum, and that's just how she lived. But they went back 13, laters, 13 years later to see how she was doing, and this was the testimony that, of Lotus Blossom. Okay, for years, Lotus was determined to learn how to walk. She would pull herself up on the back of the wheelchair that she received 13 years earlier, try to take a step, and then fall over. Again and again, she did this, hurting herself. Because her atrophied legs, she didn't have the muscular strength to support her body. Thank you. Unable to bear the sight of her daughter's repeated injuries, Lotus's mother would take away the wheelchair. But Lotus would always find it again. Each day when her mother left home to rummage through the trash heap, Lotus would pull out the wheelchair and try again. Her desire to walk was all-consuming. On their visits to Lotus's home, every three or four months, members of Christian Missions Charitable Trust would hear them hear the mother express her frustrations. You have to get this chair out of here, she'd say. She said on one of their visits, she's possessed. The chair is a demon. It's her brain. She thinks she's going to walk, but she's hurting herself. We know what you can do, the mission worker said. You should pray. To whom, she asked. In India, there are reportedly some 330 million gods to choose from. Pray to the God of all gods, the one who brought the wheelchair in the first place. And so Lotus's mother began to pray, asking God to help her daughter to stop hurting herself, asking God to heal her legs so she could walk. The neighbors in the river slum saw Lotus's mother despair. They saw her emotion, and she cried out to God. And then another miracle happened. They started praying as well. For more than a year, the community prayed until one day, to everyone's astonishment, Lotus took her first step. I don't know how to explain this, her mother said to Christian Mission Charitable Trust on their next visit. We do, they said. It's a miracle. The God who brought this chair to India wanted Lotus Blossom to learn to walk, but he also wanted you to believe him. Because of Lotus's miracle, she began with a simple wheelchair. Lotus and her mother were both baptized. Along with dozens of others who lived in their neighborhood, a Christian community was born in this slum, a community rich in faith that continues this very day. So it's more than just about a wheelchair. It's about the gospel. God's using these chairs to reach people and to be his hands and feet. And so we get this great opportunity to be a part of this. And um, I just wanted to encourage you, for those who've bought a chair or who are just, to just pray, whether you've bought one or not, to pray for those who are receiving this chair. And just, um, I don't know, they're real people. Like Lotus Blossom is a real person alive today in India. And sometimes we tend to separate ourselves from that because we live here and they live there. But there's real people receiving these chairs and every one of them get to hear about God's love for them, and somebody's reaching out to them. And we might not be that person physically, but we get to do that by donating this chair. And it's just really cool to be a part of. And I'm excited to do this as a church. And if you guys didn't register or sign up, 
just come anyway. If your day is free, we just want you to be there, and we want a time to fellowship as a church and to join together to do this. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. I've seen these chairs in Africa. $96 changes someone's life, but not the chair. It's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. and We're going to remember that today. So uh, as you stand up on your feet to get ready to worship the Lord, I just want you to just stop and think about uh, what Jesus did on the cross for us. And uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and I want you to get your hearts ready to do that. God, help us, Lord, just remember and worship, Lord, what you have done for us. God, you died for us so that we could be free. You died for us so that we could, as a church, be your hands and feet, Lord, and, and give wheelchairs and, the, and Jesus to people, Lord, that have never heard about you and have never walked. And it's all because of your spirit with us in this room, and it's all, your spirit is all because of what you did on the cross, Lord. So let us remember that today, Lord, and repent if we need to. Get our hearts right, Lord. Put these wicked thoughts out of our mind. Put the hurts at your feet, Lord. Put the the difficulty and the trauma that we're going through. Give it over to you, Lord, and let you walk us through it, Lord, because you died on the cross for us and because we're free in you today by your blood. Amen. sing together. The sun does not withhold its light. The sea does not withhold the tide. You won't withhold your love and I, I am forget to rise The stars will not forget to shine You won't forget me Lord and I I am thankful For all you Last week, Moses prays this prayer. Let's let's read this together. He prays, Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Let's hear it in Spanish this morning. Ahora pues, si he hallado gracia en tus ojos, te ruego que me muestres ahora tu camino para que te conozca y haya gracia en tus ojos y mira que esta gente es pueblo tuyo. Y él dijo, mi presencia irá contigo y te daré 
descanso. Y Moisés respondió, si tu presencia no ha de ir conmigo, no nos saques de aquí. We've been singing this song, I'm thankful for a little while, and I love how it uh, looks to the faithfulness of God's gift, then ultimately resolves the faithfulness of his presence. Let's seek his presence as a church this morning. Mountains reach to touch the sky. Heavens reach out far and wide. You reach to pull me close and by. I am
sick with sin and on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again while angels in his presence sang until the courts of last three of our graduates. The other two I graduated at the first service. 
But uh, this is uh, Leah Ashley Rodolph. Her middle name's on this Bible. And that's Libby uh, Marie Steyerwalt. Yep, that's great. And uh, Ben Michael Watts, Benjamin Michael Watts. Uh, and I've known all three of these since they were little, her since she was born. But um, it's, it's pretty awesome, actually. You know, this, this is these kids uh, graduating from uh, a level in our church, just like they are a level out in the, in the world and in life. And it's kind of important. It's important for us to, to hear this and see this standing in front of us. That, uh, and, and that's why we give them a Bible is because uh, my, job, my job as their pastor and, and your job as various roles as teachers over these years is to equip them. And I want to read this from um, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, about, about this, about what Jesus did and the purpose of this because we need to hear this this morning. So chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he, Jesus, gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And now that's been, that's been my role and, and our role in their life is to equip them with the word of God that they're now holding in their hands. And the purpose of it in verse 14 is so that we may no longer be children. You're no longer children, in case you didn't know that. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ. And so Leah here, as she's going out uh, to continue to pursue horse training, um, you know, not always sure what all that looks like. You know, that that's the next step for her. Um, Libby, she's going to start Casper College. Right, Libby? Um, and Ben, who is uh, getting ready to go to the University of Wyoming um, this fall. So that, that's, uh, that's the place that they're, they're growing out into the world to be. And uh, they, they've been equipped. You guys have been equipped. We, we and me personally have spent a lot of time... Uh, putting the word of God into your hearts. And so the purpose is so that you won't be tossed to and fro by this world. And you guys have already, you've already seen what the world wants to do, toss you around in, in lies and deceitful things and the schemes of the devil. But you're not going to let that happen because God's in you. So let me pray for you guys. And uh, just come over here. I want to gather around you guys for... A... Lord God, I just pray, Lord, for uh, Leah and Libby and Ben, Lord, that you would just be with them and, and walk with them as they go out into this next phase, Lord. I also ask that you be with them and walk with them as they move into the church, Lord. They're adults now, and they're, one of their jobs is going to be to equip and encourage and exhort the people of this church and the churches that they go out into, Father, your church. So I pray that they will take that seriously and know that their purpose has been, Lord, fulfilled. Lord, they're ready because they have you. And thank you for this, and thank you, Lord, and we worship you and praise your name for what you've done here in these three young men and women. Pray that you'll bless them. Thanks for being our God. Amen. If I could have the, the men come forward for the offering.
look inside the mystery and see the empty cross see the risen Savior victorious and strong no one else above him none is strong to save he alone has conquered the power of gifts. You offered your angel to guide him into the promised land. He said, Lord, I want your presence. Lord, show me your glory. God, you are gracious and merciful, and you answered that prayer. And so, Lord, as a a body of believers here this morning, we would echo that same prayer. We don't want just your gifts. We don't want just your blessings. We want your presence, Lord. We, with Moses, want to see your glory. Show us this morning, God. Stands above the rulers of the 
my grandson just asked if it's almost time for the kids to go to Super Church, and it is, so he's blessed. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here this morning. It's good to be back. Beth and I had a good vacation, but man, we miss being here when we're away, and uh, so it's just good to be back home with you this morning. Man, I, uh, I'm super thankful for so many different thoughts. I mean, just this glorious God that we just sang about and just the thought of who he is and, and all that he is and not just all that he does. I read a quote from a book I was reading on vacation and it, it kind of went something like this. I don't know if I got it completely right, but, but too often we, we love the gifts that God gives us far more than we love the God who gives them. And... Uh, That was a really humbling quote for me. I mean, I've received a lot from God. Most of us in here have received far more than we could probably even imagine having. Uh, Not just the comforts, but the the things that go beyond comfort, the wants, the desires, the, you know, stuff that we have. And, And quite honestly, sometimes, you know, I have to check my heart. I mean, am I loving God because he's God? Or am I simply loving God because he's giving me what I want? Or he's taking care of my needs? Or he's protecting me? Or he's doing whatever? And, and it, when you think about it, quite honestly, uh, that, that's a pretty good challenge for most of us. It's easy to love the things and to realize you're not really loving God. And we could talk a lot about this. I don't have time to do that. Matter of fact, this morning I didn't have time to finish my sermon which I don't know that I've done in 33 years. Pretty sure I haven't. Today's a first. So uh, anyway, you'll be blessed to know I'm going to finish it this morning. No, no, I'm not. <clears throat> but just the thought of, of not loving him. I mean, the thought of, of not responding to him the way he deserves for me to love him. It really did rock my world for a while. Uh, that is not that's not who God is to me, not at all. I mean, He is my life. He is life to me. Now, without Him, I would be such a different person, such a different person. And and man, I want us to to think this morning about some deep things. And we're going to talk about some, some deep things, some hard things. But I want us to, to begin by saying, Lord, do we love you? What's the evidence that we love you? Uh, is there evidence in our life that really what we love are the things that come from you, which ultimately means idolatry, right? Right? If you're loving something else before God, it's, a, it's an idol in your life. And so I want us to ask that question, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about hypocrisy. And so we'll talk about some other things in a minute. But, but let's just begin by praying, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, um, man, Lord, you're good to us. Usually when we say that, we are talking about all the things you've done for us and all the things you've given to us. And Lord, we want to be thankful for those things. It's not inappropriate to be thankful for those things. But Father, if those things mean more to us 
than you do, if we love those things more than we love you, if we're literally, Lord God, happy with you when you give us all that we want and angry at you when you don't, Lord Jesus, it's idolatry. And it's a serious sin. Maybe the most serious sin. And I ask for you to forgive me and forgive anyone else guilty of that sin. And I ask, Lord God, that that you would do a deep work in our lives today. Because, Lord, you're not asking us to be half-hearted in our relationship with you. You're asking us to be fully in love with you, meaning fully committed to you, meaning fully obedient to you, meaning aware of you when we rise and when we go to sleep and all the times in between, meaning living so that you would receive glory and honor from us, Lord God, meaning living in such a way that others will see Christ in us. Lord, it means a life surrendered to you. And I pray that you do the deep work in us, not just today, but every day. And I pray, Lord God, that we would would realize that that's where life is found, in you. And I'm so grateful for it. Lord, please speak through your word, through me this morning, and do the work that needs to be done in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So look over at uh, Matthew chapter 23. We'll begin reading in verse 13. A few weeks ago, last time I was here, we, we started into this passage, and, and it's a tough passage. I mean, really, last, the last message I titled was No Room for Hypocrisy, and Jesus is dealing with the religious leaders. He's dealing with the guys that know the Word of God. He's dealing with the guys that, that live in such a way that they claim to be holy, that they claim to be good that they claim to be leaders among the church, that they claim to have the ability and the authority to teach because they know so much and they live better than most everybody else. I mean, they're really, these religious leaders are, are what we would probably call today the ones that are best in our church, right? That's what we would be talking about today. He's talking to people that would be in the church today, right? He's not talking to people outside the church. He's not talking to those that have no knowledge of him. He's really talking to people inside the church that have a very high view of themselves. That's the hard part here. A very high view of themselves and a very low view of God. Now that, as soon as we say that, most of us go, well, that's not me. Well, I I want us to be humble enough today to go, man, Lord, is there something that I need you to reveal to me about hypocrisy in my life? Is there any hypocrisy in my life today? Because more likely than not, there probably is. There just probably is. I mean, when we think about a relationship with Jesus Christ you know, we kind of think, you know, if we can just get by, if we can just do enough, if we can just say the right things at the right moment, if we can be in the right place at the right time, if we can kind of give enough, if we can just make ourselves feel good, right? That should be enough. Isn't that true? Anybody with me? Because 
I mean, really a deep relationship with Jesus Christ is this understanding that you walk with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until you die. That's what that is. I mean, a relationship with Jesus Christ is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he transforms you. You're not the same person. The Bible says, you know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's speaking about the moment when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit does a work in you to wash you clean from your sins, but also to come and live in your life where then after that, right, he's the Lord and you're the servant, where he's the leader and you're the follower, where he's the commander and you're the obeyer, where he then convicts you of sin and he convicts you of judgment, convicts you of righteousness and you're constantly adjusting your life to him and going where he wants you to go. That's the life of Christ. It's intense. It's not casual. And so most of us, when we talk about the intensity, we try to do the best we can to find some relief, right? Relief, because it's tough to follow Jesus. There's no doubt about that because we fight against him in our flesh. There's always this battle. Who's going to be in charge of my life? Who's going to be in charge of what I decide to do today? Who's going to be in charge of my mind? Who's going to be in charge of my attitudes? Matter of fact, I laughed because this week I saw a bumper sticker in front of me that says, I am a Christian, but I cuss sometimes. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I get that. Uh, I don't cuss, just so you know. Some of you just went, well, the pastor cusses. I do not, by the grace of God, and haven't for a long time since Christ changed me. But anyway, my point was when I read that was, okay, I get that, that you know, there, all of us as Christians have our issues. But why flaunt it? Why stick it on your car? Why not think to yourself, that's something that's not honoring to God, and I should work harder at it. Why should I just put it out there that says, you know what, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect Christian, so I cuss a little bit, so get over it. No, that's not the godly attitude. That is not, that is finding relief from standing with Christ where he calls you to walk right. I mean, one of the first things that happened in my life when I got right with Christ was I cussed like a sailor. I, I mean it. It was just part of my life. I worked in a trucking company and everybody else there cussed like a sailor. And the Lord was like, you're not doing that here. You're going to stop. And I literally every day prayed on the way to work, Lord, please give me grace to speak clearly and righteously. I can't speak like this and honor you. And he did. He helped me. It was a long, long time ago. And I'm not sorry. It's not a great personal accomplishment. You know, you look back at your walk with Christ and that was a little thing. That was a little thing. That wasn't a big thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that little strips of hypocrisy are still hypocrisy. Right? Little areas of hypocrisy lead to bigger areas of hypocrisy. Bigger areas of hypocrisy begin to harden our hearts and pretty soon, rather than being fully surrendered and full of the Holy Spirit and walking ways where we go, no, I don't want any sin in my life. And Lord, purify my heart on a daily basis. And Lord, give me compassion and love and grace. Pretty soon we're so hard to it that we no longer care about hypocrisy. 
And I don't know if that's what happened with these scribes and Pharisees. I'm pretty sure they have been unbelievers all along. But whatever the reason is, and Jesus is calling them out. And I believe he needs to call us out too. And we'll talk about the reasons why. So read with me, Matthew 23, beginning of verse 13. It says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's no one more beautiful There's no one more glorious. There's no one more loving or more righteous, more holy, more powerful, more amazing and gracious and merciful and patient. There's no one like you. To have a relationship with you to know you, to be growing in our relationship with you is the most amazing thing in the world. And it came through your grace and love in Christ. And Lord Jesus, you deserve our worship. Lord God Almighty, you deserve our love. You deserve our commitment. You deserve our sacrifice. You deserve our suffering You deserve everything we could give you. And Lord, when we give it all to you, we are the ones that gain. We are the blessed ones. We are the ones that find life pouring out of us and pouring into us. Lord God, I pray that as we look at your word, the Lord Jesus, you convict us of sin where there is sin and lead us to repentance. I pray that you would convict those who are lost and lead them to salvation. I pray you'll be glorified, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this incredible passage, and Jesus, like I said, has already confronted these guys to somewhat of a lesser degree. And matter of fact, he's, he's finished right before that we start this. He, in verse 11, kind of gives them this, this summary, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And he's, he's taught us this before in the Gospels. This is a theme of Christ, Right? that those who exalt themselves will be humbled by God. They may not be humbled by other men. They may not be humbled themselves. They will be humbled by God. No one gets to exalt themselves above who they are. They are sinners in need of salvation who God graciously loved and gave a savior to that they might have life and there's no reason to exalt yourself. There's no reason to look down on somebody else. There's no reason to be proud of who you are. You are, if you know Christ, a gift for God's glory. That's what you live for. He's done something in your life you didn't deserve and you should be the most humble man or woman on the planet. It's true of all of us. And when we are humble before God, he lifts us up. 
Well, Jesus then continues from there and he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Apparently, they had not humbled themselves before God. But apparently, they weren't who they claimed to be. I mean, I don't know about you, but when somebody says, when Jesus, the Son of God, says, woe to you, he's talking about, I want you to know that judgment and hardship and suffering is coming because you're hypocrites. Can you imagine somebody standing there looking you in the face, saying, woe to you, pastor, hypocrite? Those would be almost fighting words, wouldn't they? They might be fighting words for some of us because nobody wants to be called out. Nobody wants to be called out. Nobody wants to be seen. How many of you want to be seen for what you really are? Because a lot of us are good at covering over who we really are. We can put on the charm with each other We can do the right things at the right time, go to the right places, say the right words. We kind of know what we need to do in certain social situations so that we don't make ourselves look like hypocrites, right? But you can't do that with Jesus. You can't do that with God. No, he's not missing anything. He's not missing anything about us today. He's not missing anything about who I am. As I stand before you today, he knows it all. And he knows it all about you too. He knows it all about his church. He knows it all about the people of Casper. He knows it all about the nation of the U.S. And he knows it all about the world. He knows it all. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now that should never be said in one sentence. Scribes and Pharisees were the religious leaders who knew the most about God's word. They knew the most about God's word. They had memorized the whole first five books of the Bible. They were not lacking education. They were not lacking insight, if you will, into what the Word of God would have said. They were very powerful men. They seemed to do the right thing everywhere they went. And Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And this first thing that he addresses on them is one of the most heartbreaking parts to me of them all. It says, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. I want you to think about that for a minute. You shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. Here's the kingdom of heaven. It's been made available by God. God desires that no man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see that in the cross of Jesus Christ. God wants men and women and boys and girls to be saved. He wants them to know him. He wants their sins to be forgiven so that they can be reconciled to him. He wants them to have eternal life. He wants the best for us. He loves us. Yet these men who claim to know God, these men who claim to know God's word, these men who claim to know the purpose of God and the plan of God and the heart of God had shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. There couldn't be anything more hypocritical 
I mean, let's just be honest. There's nothing more hypocritical than for someone to say, I'm a Christian, and yet to live like they're not and cause others to be shut out from the kingdom of heaven. I won't give details, but but yesterday I was called to go out to minister to a, a, a family, a person, because of an incredible tragedy. And I mean it, an incredible tra- tragedy. And uh, then I went out and I spent a little time with this family. I don't know them very, well, the family I don't know at all, the, the person I know just a little bit. I didn't have a lot of words for them. They just weren't words. They're just not words sometimes, right? But I said, talked to them a little bit about the Lord, but I, I basically said, can I pray for you? And I prayed with all my heart, every ounce of my being, for God to do a work in their life that, that I can't do, that none of you could do, that is not human work, it's God's work, it's, it's that and that God would draw them to him that they might know this hope and this peace and this life that's found in Christ. And, and then, then I left. As I was driving home, the thought just kept going through my mind. There's so much hypocrisy in so many believers in America today. And I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm I'm not trying to be harsh. It's just true. So many people in America, they'll gladly say, I know Jesus. I talk to a lot of people. I witness to a lot of people in a lot of different places. And a lot of times I'll say to them, have you ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now the whole time I've talked to them, they've not had any clue about what it means to be saved. And then they'll say, oh yeah, I've trusted Jesus. I mean, I'm pretty blunt, so I really want to say to them, no, you haven't. I don't typically do that. I probably have at different times, but, but no, you haven't. Everything about your life points to the fact that there is no change in your life. There points to the, that there is no Christ in your life. It points to the fact that there, there's nothing about your life, nothing about what you say, nothing about what you do, nothing about how you live, Nothing about anything that points to the fact that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Don't tell me that you're saved. Because when you say that you're saved and you live like you live, you hurt people. Do you not know that? I mean, really, one of the greatest damages that's ever been done in the United States of America is people that claim to know Jesus Christ and live like they are lost, like devils. And I know there's a bunch of us in here. Man, we're shaking our heads. Oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. Is that me? Is that you? Is it? These men would have said, not us, Lord. Not us. We do the right things. We say the right things. Man, we put on these, you know, tassels on our garments and we put on these boxes full of scripture on our heads so that people can see how great we are. We say all the long prayers in the marketplaces so people can see how godly we are. We do all these things. Not us, Lord. He's looking right at them and going, you're hypocrites. 
Because it doesn't matter if you can do all these things that seem to be right when your heart is not and Christ is not in you. If you're trying to do things to impress men rather than to have Christ in your life to honor God, you're a hypocrite. And when we do that, we shut men out of the kingdom of heaven. And my heart was so broken yesterday because there's only one answer. There's only one. There's only one when everything comes crashing down and your whole life just gets choked to a stop and your heart is so broken you don't know how to respond. What answer is there? And that answer is Jesus and he's real. And he changes our lives. And he does things in us that can't be done apart from him. And you and I should be living for that. Amen? We should be witnesses to the power of Jesus Christ in our lives, not shutting men out of the kingdom because we're hypocrites. Because we won't stand for justice. We won't stand for mercy. We we won't stand for truth. We won't speak up. We're so afraid. We're so afraid. We're so afraid that somebody's going to notice that we're different by being a Christian. It's high time for us to stand up and say, I'm different and I'm thankful. Are you thankful for Jesus? Are you thankful that with Christ in your life, you can show people hope? You can show them You can have a different heart, a different attitude, a different response because of Christ, and you can open the door to the kingdom for them to say what happened to you. I told you when I quit cussing, I've told this a thousand times, but I'm going to tell it again. When I quit cussing, the guys that I worked with used to come up to me and go, what happened to you? Did you get religious or what? Because I quit cussing. I suddenly became a different entity in this shop where I worked, in the dock where I worked, and among the drivers where I worked. And these old, <laughs> old guys, they weren't as old as I am now. But they were old to me at 24. And they'd say to me, what happened to you? Did you get religious? Many of them. I used to say, look, man, do you really want to know? Are you jerking my chain? That was my line to them. I was a little fiery back in those days. And they'd be like, nah. I'm like, well, walk on. Someone would say, no, what happened, Coop? What happened? I say, man, Jesus changed my life. I was so broken. I was so empty. I was so dark. He changed my life. Radically changed my life. And I'm not sorry. Do you want to know him? I saw some of the hardest men I've ever met in my life at some levels soften. I never got a chance to lead any of them to Christ. The hardest one I ever knew in that shop one day asked me the very same question. I told him, man, don't mess with me, please. I'm not giving you my pearls. He says, I want to know what happened. And I told him, and with tears rolling down his eyes, he goes, I want that, but I'm not ready. Are you afraid to be what Christ calls you to be? 
Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ, the one who has done more for you than anyone on this planet has ever done for you? Are you sorry that you living for Jesus Christ might cause you some discomfort, some embarrassment, some ridicule? Or are you more concerned about your love for God and your love for people, which are the two great commandments we've been given by God, right? Man, if we love him, let's live for him and open the door to the kingdom of heaven. How did these guys shut the door? Listen to what it says. You do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. These guys hadn't come. They said they knew God, but they didn't know him. From the time John showed up, John the Baptist showed up, started preaching in repentance for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins, to Jesus' time, these guys said no to John, no to repentance, no to Jesus. They were about to take Jesus to the cross. In a few days, they were gonna stand before Pilate and lead the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They hadn't entered into the kingdom of God. They were just religious. They were just making themselves look good for everybody else to see. And Jesus says, that's why you're shutting men and women and boys and girls out of the kingdom of heaven. You've not entered in yourself. Now, one of the things that we have to actually do is let God search us. Matter of fact, the scripture says, search yourself and know that you're in the faith. Search yourself. Are you are you someone that's come to Christ helpless in their sin, condemned in their sin, broken in their sin, and said to Jesus, I know who you are. You're the son of God. You died for my sins. You rose from the dead. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I need you. Have you done that? Have you put your faith in him? Because, man, if you think that you're fooling God with whatever religious practices you perform he sees right through you and you're such a hindrance you're such a you're such a tripping stone I can't think of the word you're just killing people literally no wonder Jesus called them hypocrites you see Part of what Jesus is dealing with is that because he's going to the cross in just a few days, he's dealing with these false teachers. These guys are not leading people to salvation. They're shutting people out of salvation. And he knows that the gospel is too important to leave these false teachers free to teach without being confronted. Man, you talk about a call today in the world full of false teachers. False teachers everywhere. False teachers in the church. False teachers in the world. False teachers everywhere. Teachers that are teaching in the, in the church that God is a different God than what his word says he is. That God is okay when people are sinning openly and, and rebelliously. That God doesn't mind that because that's who God is. When the truth of God's word is that that's not who God is. God is going to judge, and we're so afraid of all that stuff. Man, 
Jesus knew that he was going to go die on the cross. And he told the disciples on the night before he was arrested, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. This gospel that we have, this gospel that we preach, this gospel that we teach, the gospel that's given to us in the word of God, it's important. It's powerful. There's no other message that needs to be shared. And we don't need to compromise on it anywhere. And when we do, it's hypocrisy. Well, he goes on, verse 14. Now, let me say this about verse 14. It's not in all of the modern translations. And the reason being is that when King James was translated from the Greek manuscripts, at the time, they didn't have any older manuscripts before this. And it was included in these manuscripts, verse 14 was. But after King James in 1611 was translated, they found older manuscripts that didn't contain this verse, which meant that at some point in time, somebody had written in, a scribe had written in this verse, which is found over in Mark and it's also found in Luke. And so it's not inappropriate, it's not out of place, but it wasn't found in older manuscripts. So if you don't have this verse in your Bible, that's why. It doesn't change anything about the message, but I'm gonna share with you what it says because it has pertinence to what we read as Jesus goes on through this passage. In verse 14, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Now let me read so that you can kind of see that it's also in another place in the scriptures appropriately. In Luke 20, 46 and 47, it says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These, they re- these will receive greater condemnation. So, so no, right? Some people say the Bible's not accurate. No, it's not true. The Bible's very accurate. And this, this verse, verse 14, is very accurate. And what Jesus is doing is he's following this thread, if you will, of their hypocrisy. Right? How the hypocrisy of Christians, if you will, impacts others so diabolically. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. Now, they don't know exactly what that meant, but they know this. These guys would leverage their religious position. They would leverage their hypocrisy to manipulate the most vulnerable in their society, the widows. And they would either manipulate them to the place where these widows would give over their their possessions and their properties to these men as executors, and these men would then take advantage of them financially, or they would manipulate it some other way. It doesn't really matter at all. They would devour these helpless, vulnerable women in their society, while at the same time, standing publicly and making long, eloquent, wonderful prayers as if they were the most righteous, godly people, and everybody should pay attention to them. There's no greater picture of hypocrisy. And yet, do you think that nobody noticed? Do you think nobody in their society noticed that they were stealing and robbing and cheating and manipulating these vulnerable widows, and yet at the same time, trying to impress somebody with their spirituality? You know, it's not just typically God who notices our hypocrisy. 
is it? I mean, I've heard testimony after testimony over the years. People have come to me and say to me, Pastor, man, I've got I've to do something different in my life. And I said, well, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, I was at work the other day, and I actually got a chance to have a conversation with somebody, and I actually started talking about the Lord, and they stopped me and said, you're a Christian? I would have never known that you were a Christian. And they were like, I, I can't be that person anymore. I need to change. You, you think people don't notice our hypocrisy? Do you think you can join in the conversations that are filled with debauchery and laugh along with the same jokes that are full of wickedness, have the same rotten attitude, manipulate people and treat them like dirt? You think you can do that and not be a hypocrite? Why would we think that? Why would we think about the fact that Christ is in us The Holy One. We're the temple of the living God, the Bible says. He's in us. We should be different than anybody else. And yet, there's so many Christians today that nobody knows they're Christians. Nobody knows because they're just letting the flesh run rampant rather than living for Jesus and loving and being compassionate helping the vulnerable, allowing them to to see the love of Christ flow from us, humbling ourselves for the good of others. Well, verse 15 kind of finishes this first section of three. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Pretty handy little verse, by the way. I've had Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses actually come up to me and say, well, we're doing the same thing. You're in the business of of leading people to God. And I said, no, nope. every time you make a convert, you make them twice the son of hell as you are. I've said that to people. It's an interesting response you get when you say that to somebody. Conversations don't last long. And you guys think that, you know, hey, that's, It's kind of neat of you, right? And bold of you. No. It's true. It's true. These guys thought. They thought they were doing right. I mean, I have people every now and then stop and talk to me. There's so many different beliefs. There's so many different, you know, religions. How do you know which one is the right one? Because can't they all be true? Ask yourself that question logically. This group does not believe at all in Jesus Christ. My whole faith is in Jesus Christ. Can't they be true together? No. No. There's only one truth, folks. It's not your truth or my truth. It's God's truth. And then when we begin to talk about false teachers, false teachers are all in many times. They're all in to persuade people. They're all in to lead people to wherever they're following 
And they want them to follow them because false teachers have to have followers or they have no validity in their teachings, right? They have to make themselves look good because that's all. They're not trying to impress God. They're not trying to honor God. They're trying to impress people and make followers, which is what these guys were doing. And man, they were going over land and over sea and looking for people to convince them that the way to have a relationship with God is to look better than everybody else. Do more good works and be as public as you can so that people really see how awesome you are. And Jesus said, every time they do it, they make them twice the son of hell as you are. And, you, and I looked at that, and I'm like, what in the world? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that they're twice as judged and twice as condemned. What it means is they're twice as convicted about what they believe. At some level, hypocrites, they typically know like we've said no to God, but we're going to pretend like we didn't. So we're going to live this life and we're going to be convicted about it. But if they made a proselyte, if they made a follower like them, that guy wasn't half in. It was all the way in. It's not been very long ago. Just a few months ago, we actually had that taking place in our church. There was a guy. He started coming He'd kind of gotten no to one of the young guys, and this young guy didn't know much about Christ. This young guy came to know Christ during this time, and this other guy was latched on to him. And when you first talked to this guy, it sounded like his doctrine made sense, but the more you talked to him, the more you realized it wasn't the same doctrine. But this guy was adamant about what he believed. He would actually say to me, well, what do you believe? And I'd tell him, ah, you know, and, but he kept latching on to this young man and latching on to this young man. And finally, I was saying to this young man, you can't. You can't go with him. You can't listen to him. You need to be careful of this guy. This guy's purposely manipulating you into becoming something that he wants you to be. And for a long time, he's like, well, shouldn't we be compassionate with this guy? Yes, we should. We should, but you cannot be deceived by this guy. And pretty soon, he just kind of blew out. I mean, he was confronted. He did some things that showed who he really was as a hypocrite, and, and it just blew up in his face. But if you think this isn't happening today in our world around us, right here inside our church sometimes, you'd be mistaken. Man, hypocrites want followers. Hypocrites want to cause people to stumble. Hypocrites want to follow literally their master, the devil, who seeks to kill and destroy. That's his primary purpose. But guess what? Sometimes when we're calling ourselves Christians, but we don't really want to live for Jesus, we want to compromise as much as we can so that we don't have to have that, that higher calling, that higher commitment that greater sacrifice. We want to have the comfortable life. We want to have the easy life. We want to have, you know, not a lot of conviction or any of the stuff that goes with that. We start telling others, Jesus doesn't really demand commitment from you. Jesus doesn't really demand repentance of your sins. He knows who you are. It's okay to sin and to live like that. We hear other Christians say that all the time, right? It's, it's okay. He loves us. He's forgiven us. 
He doesn't really have any kind of expectations of us. Do you know that's a lie? That's a lie. Christ's expectation of us is to love him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will want to live for me. You will want to purify your heart. You will want to purify your mind. You will want to commit yourself to following me day in and day out. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow after me. Does God have expectations of us as as his children? Very high expectations of us. It's not casual. And so the hypocrisy of Christians oftentimes is, well, the God I follow would never have those high expectations of me. So he won't have those expectations of you either. Listen, that's hypocrisy. That's not being who God created you to be. He didn't create you to be more committed to yourself and to your stuff and to your agenda than to be committed to him. He he created you to bring glory and honor to him in all that you do and think and say. And yes, it requires an intimate relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. And yes, it requires getting back up after we fall short of those expectations. And yes, it, can, it is required to be authentic. You better be who you say you are. If you say you're a Christian, you've got to be authentic, which means biting your tongue instead of lashing out, which means putting down your anger and showing grace, which means loving the unlovable and serving the unlikable. It means a lot of things because that's who Christ is in us. Amen? You see, these three verses are all about keeping people out of the kingdom of God. These three verses, Jesus says, you hypocrites, what you're doing with your lives when that's not who you are in your hearts is causing people to stumble and be lost and have no hope. There's not a way in the world that can honor me. Listen, it is hard to be all-in Christian. It is. I'm not going to tell you that I... I get this all figured out every day. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you this. We need to be striving that way. We need to be striving that way. Maybe you're here and God has spoken to you about some of these areas of hypocrisy in your life. It's just time to say, Lord, it's true of me and I'm sorry. And I'm not just going to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to work at changing it. I'm going to repent. Maybe you're here and, and you've never trusted Christ and you're the biggest hypocrite because you call yourself a Christian. If you're here and you don't know Christ and you don't call yourself a Christian, fair enough. That's, that's authentic. We can live with that. You can't, by the way. You need Jesus. 
But man, don't call yourself a Christian if you're not. You'd be better off to say, I'm not a Christian than to try to, to say and prove something that's not true. You're hurting people. If that's not true of you, here's the great joy. Christ loves you. He loves you. He died for you. You don't have to remain separated from him. You might have to humble yourself. You might have to actually stand and say, I've told people I'm a Christian, but I'm not, and I need to trust Jesus now. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid of that. Trust Christ today. I mean, Pastor Max is going to come lead us in the Lord's Supper in just a moment. I mean, this Lord's Supper, this is about the gospel. This is about Jesus' body who was broken when we take the bread. This is about Jesus' blood that was shed when we take the juice. We do this because Christ changed our life and we're thankful and we need to remember him and his death for us every day. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. If you're not right with Christ, get right with Christ. Trust him today. Repent of your sins. And then remember what he's done. Celebrate it. Celebrate Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel, the truth. Thank you that you call us out. You don't allow us, Lord God, to remain in hypocrisy. You don't allow us, Lord Jesus, to compromise the truth of who you are in our lives. You don't allow us to compromise the goodness in your, in, that you are in our life, and you don't allow us to compromise the judgment that you are in our life. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you do a work in me, that you do a work in us. And as we celebrate this Lord's Supper, as we remember your broken body and shed blood, Lord Jesus, be exalted, we pray. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen. It's becoming clearer as God speaks to us, the the sin that we deal with and wrestle with all day long. As our servants come forward to to serve us uh, communion elements, it's good for us to remember that when our sin has separated us from Christ, God has done what is necessary to reconcile us to himself. I'd like for us to read our verses from First uh, Peter chapter 2 together. Then I want to share Paul's direction along those lines too because God has brought us when we were alienated from him into himself if we have faith in Christ. Let's read that. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He called his people, the Jewish people, he called them to himself. And then he called them to call the whole world to himself. And then through Christ, he completed that process. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And then he points straight at the cross. He says, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What God did on the cross through his Son was to extend his heart to us beyond and through our sin by placing the sin on the son of his, on his Son. Isaiah said, Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So he offers us that reconciliation. And that's what we celebrate in this because the people of Israel would celebrate the Passover where God delivered them from slavery and the domination of another nation upon them, the nation of Egypt. And now these people were living under the domination of the Roman government. And Jesus was talking to them about the true freedom that's in that reconciliation that God brings when he reconciles an individual to himself. And so Jesus took the Passover meal. And in that Passover meal from Matthew chapter 26, we read, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, And gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I'll not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so as we take this bread and we take this cup. We recognize what Christ has done on the cross to reconcile us to himself. And it's a celebration, but it's an observance, a holy observance of the heart of God and his love towards us and the price that was owed and the price that was paid through Christ that we might be reconciled to himself. So, Joel, would you... Lead us in a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that for the joy set before you, you were willing to endure all the suffering that you went through and dying for us. We thank you that especially that you are now living and you're here with us right now, and we thank you for that. And we thank you for the love of the 
that you had for us that motivated you to do this. Pray that we would um, learn to be very appreciative of that and to um, be very aware of your presence with us now because not only did you die, but you are living, and we praise you for that. In your name, amen. So our servants will pass out these. You'll need to take the two cups that are stacked. One will have the bread on the bottom. The other one will have the juice representing the blood of Christ. Then we'll observe those together. When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's worth That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things
And just as Jesus gave thanks for the bread, and Joel has given thanks for this bread representing the body of Christ, the disciples tore off a piece of the same piece of bread. And so we celebrate and we take this together as one, the body of Christ. Rod, would you lead us in a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ? Father, we thank you for uh, allowing your son to give the ultimate sacrifice by letting all of our sins be taken away as they did in the past. It was done through the uh, sacrifice of animals, and you let Jesus take that sacrifice and take all of, his, all of our sins upon himself by allowing his blood to be sacrificed. And that's the greatest gift that you can do for us, God. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. This represents the blood of Christ. Now the disciples, after they went through this initiation, as it were, of this new covenant. They went out and they saw Jesus arrested. They saw him beaten. They saw him killed on a cross. They were on the front side of that. We are on the back side. And we know that he has forgiven us. And we know he was raised from the dead to give us new life. And so we can live in this covenant. Isn't that great? Yeah, so let's go do that. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what you've given us. We covenant with you through the covenant that you made, through the blood of your son, Jesus. We want to live not as hypocrites, but as faithful children of yours. And we pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.